Let's, uh, let's pray real quick and ask God's blessing upon His Word. Father, I ask that You would uh, work through, speak to us through Your Word. I pray, Father, the Holy Spirit would uh, interpret, communicate, speak to us, Father, what we need to change, where we need to go, what we need to do, what we need to say, Father. We ask that you would work, Father, through this uh, truth that we find in your word. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever hear somebody say, I believe in God? Do you ever say, do you ever hear somebody say, I believe in God, and you know that something's not right with them saying it? Do you know, have you ever had somebody say, I believe in God, and you know that they don't know anything about God? A lot of people claim to believe in God. Many times what it is, is really the God that they've made up in their own mind with no biblical inspiration at all. What you believe is important. You are not saved by having faith in faith. You are not saved by having faith in faith. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. The mind has to understand the truth. The heart has to desire the truth. And the will acts upon the truth. I had a, a friend. She was part of the worship team at church. So I worked with her every Sunday. Uh, she played the keyboard. She uh, played every day every Sunday for us. She went to practice every... When was practice? Was it Tuesday night? I think it was every Tuesday night she went to practice. She was a person the congregation looked at every Sunday. And she said she believed in God. Until the day an old boyfriend from high school came back into her life. Now, the problem was that she was already married. Married to one of the members in the church. One of the believers in the church. One of the Pillars in the church. So, she had this relationship with this old boyfriend while she was married. And the relationship got stronger and stronger and stronger until one day she came to her husband with divorce papers. Now, I'm the pastor of the church. What do I do? Well, I got to talk to her. So I called her to my office. I had her husband come. I had her come. And I had an elder come and me. And we talked for a couple hours. And I could not get one biblical reason why she wants a divorce. In other words, there's no physical abuse, there's no nothing, anything. There's no reason for her to get a divorce. She said, let me get it right, I don't care what the Bible said. 
Well, I kind of disqualified for, for leading worship on Sunday morning, needless to say. Needless to say, we started the admonishment process, and nothing changed her mind. For uh, it was probably years, she was helping to lead worship and did not believe in the biblical God of the Bible. Now, there could be a lot of people like that. There could be even someone in this room like that that will agree with what the Bible says as long as it applies to somebody else. But when it gets down to her and what she thinks is happiness and her desire to be with the guy in high school (laughs) again, then the Bible doesn't count. In other words, the Bible is a good book, but it's not the guiding book for her happiness. Now, at Cumberland, Bible is our middle name. And if the Bible is something you can take or leave, we ask you to take it and leave everything else. What we are trying to do is to build a group of believers that love Jesus Christ, that believe the sufficiency of Scripture is all that you need to have a happy life in this life and the next. Therefore, today we have what I call the State of the Union. Today is the first Sunday in 2019. For those of you that thought we'd never get here, We're here. So what we're going to do is we're going to look back on this last year. We're going to try to summarize all the sermons in one 10-minute segment. We're going to look forward to this year, summarize all the sermons in 10 minutes. And then I'm going to give you what I think will be 10 minutes of encouragement that I think we need to do as a church in order for us to continue growing. Now, Satan says we can continue growing by not being such a stickler on the Bible. And... Since I see it working elsewhere, I think it would work. But since I don't listen to him, we're going to have to do something else that maybe God says, which I guess will be a little bit harder because it's on the narrow road, not the wide one, that we need to do together. So, don't point at the person next to you because I'm talking to you. And I am trying to encourage you, trying to remind you what we learned last year, what we'll learn this year, and my encouragement to help us grow. And do not think, do not think, do not think, do not think you can point to somebody else and have this sermon work. Oh, you're urging, you just want to point to somebody right now, don't you? (laughs) No. It's going to be pass or fail. Either we do it and the church lives, or we don't do it, church dies. So, here we go.
You ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Let's uh, talk about last year. Turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Now, it's been a long time since we were in James chapter 2, so we're going to try to bring this up. And we're going to make this the theme of the entire book of James. James chapter 2, verse 22. What did we learn in 2018 from the book of James? Verse 22 and 23. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Woo! That big verse. First thing I want you to get here. What did we learn in 2018 from the book of James? Number one, God shapes your faith through hardships of this life. God shapes your faith through the hardships of this life. I don't know how you look at 2018. I don't know if you see it as a good year, a bad year, or average year. I don't know if you see it as hard year or an easy year. If a year of hardships, trials, tribulations, or a time of blessing. I don't know how you see last year. But however you see it, God was working to increase your faith. He was getting you ready for the year 2019. He was increasing your faith and he did everything he could. The things you went through, the experiences you had, the good days you had, the bad days you had, the times you went to the doctor, the times you didn't go to the doctors, the times you went to the dentist, the times you didn't go to the dentist. He was trying to build your faith. And he does it for a very specific point of reason. Here we go. His faith was working with his works. Faith literally was working with his works. Working with imperative, excuse me, imperfect. Tense, a continual process of working. Working every day last year, trying to produce faith that works. The result of the works, saving faith, had the evidence of living faith. Your saving faith, if you have saving faith, you have living works. You cannot have one without the other. Your saving faith is seen in works, living faith. You're seen, it's seen in fruit, living faith. It is seen by you experiencing things, placing your faith in God, and God moving that faith so your faith grows. So everything that happened last year was so that your faith was, notice this word, was perfected, was perfective, erist passive, meaning your faith is brought to maturity. It's passive because God does the work. He brings your faith to its goal. Last year, God worked your faith so you would meet a goal, so you'd be ready for 2019. A tree is perfected by its fruit. An apple tree is an apple tree because it produces... Apples. If it produces cherries, it's not an apple tree. You are designed to produce living faith. And everything that God did in your life last year, good, bad, or indifferent, He did so that your faith would grow. Now, I'd love for you to raise your hands. Did your faith grow in this last year? I don't want to see it, but I'd love to see it. Did your faith grow? The things you went through, the things your family went through, the things your spouse went through, did you grow in your faith? Yes or no? Pass or fail? That was the goal God had for your faith to get perfected. So it would be complete. So it would be mature. So it would be ready to go for 2019. Because we're here. The Bible talks about a lot of different works. There's works of the law, Galatians 2. There's works of the flesh, Galatians 5. There are wicked works, Colossians 1. There are dead works, Hebrews 9. 
There are all kinds of works you can produce in your life by your lack of faith. But when you have saving faith, your saving faith will always find its way to living faith, which will produce, what's it say? Righteousness. Righteousness. Therefore, if you have faith and it was growing, you would produce righteousness seen through your life. Last year, God's goal for you was for you to have saving faith, and that saving faith would produce living faith, and that living faith would produce righteousness. And the only thing that can produce righteousness is your living faith. And the only thing that can make righteousness stronger is more living faith. And it's supposed to produce righteousness. It's supposed to produce fruit of righteousness. And it will automatically do that. Now, your living faith does not produce sin. Your living faith produces righteousness. God designed it for you to grow in it throughout the good days and the bad days of this last year. And you are to produce righteousness. Look at verse 23. And scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Number two, what did we learn 2018 from the book of James, a sinner can become a friend of God. A sinner can become a friend of God. And he becomes a friend of God by saving faith. Now, Abraham went through saving faith. In Genesis 15, verse 6, it talks about him experiencing saving faith. It says, He believed in the Lord and was reckoned to him as righteousness. In other words, he believed in the Lord and he was reckoned to him as righteousness. And then 30 years later, in Genesis 22, he showed his living faith. Genesis 22, 16 says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, offered up Isaac on the altar, and have not withheld your son, your only son. It showed his living faith. Abraham believed God. And by his belief, he demonstrated living faith. Therefore, he did what God told him to do. Even though it didn't make sense to his human mind, he did what God told him to do. And he took his son up with the purpose of offering him on an altar to God. The son that was promised. The son he waited a hundred years for. <laughs> the son that was produced as many people as the sands of the sea. As many people as the scars in the sky. He, God said to offer him as a sacrifice, and he did it. God stopped him at the last moment. He knew his heart. He knew he was willing to give him even Isaac, the, man, the son he loved, to do what God said. Living faith begins with saving faith in God and God's word. Abraham was justified by saving faith, and his sin was seen in his living faith. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Carries with the idea of his imputed righteousness from God. Air is passive. It comes from God. Imputed righteousness will always have itself seen by living faith. Practical righteousness. And he will be called a friend of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a title I want on my desk, right? That's a title I want on my tombstone, a friend of God. The only way you can be a friend of God is through saving faith, which is seen by living faith, and that will make you a friend of God. Your life needs to be seen in righteousness. Last year, your life was to be seen in righteousness. You had to do the righteous thing. Not the sinful thing. Living faith does not show itself in sin. It shows itself in righteousness. You had all of last year, every day, 365 of them. Is that right? 24 hours a day. Is that right? We all had the same amount of time. We all had the same saving faith. 
we should have produced the same righteousness. And we'll be called a friend of God. By the way, what's the alternative? Not a halfway friend of God. But James talks about friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. Turn to Romans. Turn to Romans. Chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now that was last year. We're done with last year. There are things we want to forget about last year, but that's fine. We're done. New year. We're ready to go. Brand new. 2019. Everything's going well so far this year. I'm ahead on my Bible reading. Clean slate. Everything's new. Looking good. Now, let me share with you what we have planned for this next year on Sundays. Well, we have to finish mere Christianity. We're not done with that yet. We still have a number of Sundays to work on that. Then we have to finish James chapter 5. We're still not done with the book of James. Then in the spring, we're going to do a study on the 10 greatest words in Scripture. 10 greatest words in Scripture. That'll take us 10 weeks. Okay? Then in July, we're going to start a new study going verse by verse through the book of Romans. The elders and I have agreed, decided, that this is where we will benefit the most as a church. So, we will go through Romans. Now, I'm not sure what what year we'll get done, but I know which year we're starting. Okay? This year. We're starting. So, I want to go to what people think are the key verse in Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let's read it again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. 2019. What will we learn in 2019 from the book of Romans? In 2019, book of Romans, first thing I want you to know is, is that the gospel message is God's power. The gospel message is God's power. The gospel message is power. God's power is the gospel message. There is a direct connection between both of them. Power, message. Power, message. I was vacationing in Arizona. I went by Power Baptist Church. I thought that was a great name. The Power Cumberland Bible Church. I'd like that. Because there's a connection directly with power and the gospel. The gospel is power. Power is the gospel. I got a new bumper sticker. I can make a lot of money now. Power is the gospel. Gospel is the power. The highest way to see the power of God is to see the gospel work. Therefore, we, the church, our church, you and I, we don't need miracles, we don't need signs. Because the highest thing that's more powerful than signs or miracles is the gospel. The gospel is huge. 
The gospel is what wins the game. The gospel is everything. If you did not see any power in your year 2018, it's only because of one reason you did not see the power of the gospel. If you saw the power of the gospel, you saw power. Power is the ability of the gospel message to change a life from being bound to sin to living a life of righteousness. Woo! From being bound to sin to changing a life to righteousness. Martin Luther put it this way. The power of God is such a force as to elevate a man from sin to righteousness, from death to life, from hell to heaven, from the kingdom of the devil to the kingdom of God. It gives him eternal salvation. Therefore, if you dilute or water down the gospel, you're water downing the power of God. When you add things to the gospel message, you're adding things to the power of God, which therefore makes it no longer powerful. If you change the gospel message that God's word says is the gospel message, and you change it, there'll be a point where there's no longer any power in it. The gospel is power. Power is the gospel. It takes God's power to change a human sinful nature. Human nature, a human person, (laughs) cannot save himself because he has no power. The gospel is where the power is. The gospel is where the power is. I love Jeremiah 13, 23. It says, can an Ethiopian change his skin? No. Or a leopard his spots? No. Then you also cannot do good who are accustomed to being evil. There's no way an evil person can do good. Because there's no way a leopard can change his spots. There's no way an Ethiopian can change his skin. You can't do it. You don't have the power. Only power you have is the gospel. Which can change lives. Which will grow a church. If Cumberland Bible does not see power, we will die. Cumberland Bible Church demonstrates power, we will thrive. So what? So what? Power is gospel, gospel is power. So what? Big deal. So what? Let's see what it does. First part of verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Point A, put it this way. The gospel is so powerful, God's power is so powerful, that it will make a believer evangelistically proud. Evangelistically proud. It will change you from being a weak Christian to an evangelistically powerful Christian. Because you know the gospel has the power. And you know if you don't have the gospel, there's no power. You water down the gospel, you water down power. Eventually you have no power. You have power because of the gospel. And that makes you a believer who believed and was saved by the power of God. You know how powerful it is. It changed your life. You cannot be shy about the gospel. There's a pastor. He was talking about how he was in high school. And his high school had uh, uh, hall monitors and office monitors. Schools don't have that anymore, do they? No? Not really. They used to do that. They used to be able to send a message from the principal's office to the teacher's room by sending a student who would be in charge of being the office monitor of that day. The pastor was an office monitor. He said he loved it. He would go into any classroom and interrupt the classroom just by opening the door. Everything would stop. All eyes would come to him. 
and he would give the message to the teacher the principal wanted to give. That was power. No teacher ever scolded him. No teacher ever told him to be quiet. No teacher told him to get out of the house, get out of the room. He was never afraid or ashamed because he knew where his message comes from. His message comes from the principle. The gospel is the message of salvation, which reveals the righteousness of God, which does the work of salvation, and God's power of love and peace changes lives. You have a message that makes you powerful. Not because you are, but because where the message comes from. Your message comes from God, which makes you then the office monitor, and you can go into any place and give a message that will be powerful because it's the gospel message. The gospel delivers sinners from the penalty and power of sin. So what? Big deal. God's power, God's message, big deal. Second point. The gospel message is God's power, and it's so powerful, it will save the believer. It will save the believer. So powerful, it will save the believer. Now, I put believer there. Some of you may think I made a mistake. I should put sinner there. But it's not sinner, it's believer. Look at the verse. For salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. Salvation for everyone who believes. Therefore, it has to be a person who believes the truth of the gospel. You believe the truth of the gospel, you receive salvation. The God's word is so powerful, God's message, God's gospel is so powerful that it makes you a believer. Because you place your trust in the truth. And that power becomes part of you. So powerful. Salvation is the process of reconciliation. There's a change of relationship between God and humans. Instead of being alienated and in enmity with God, we are replaced by peace and acceptance. The work of salvation for complete eternal recovery of all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a short list of how God's salvation works. Salvation rescues you from guilt. Ephesians 1. Rescues you from pollution of sin, Romans 6. It replaces you from slavery to sin, Romans 7. It replaces you, rescues you from punishment, alienation from God, Ephesians 2. The wrath of God, Ephesians 2. Everlasting death. You're saved by the power of God's gospel message. The gospel moves you from being saved into something better. Your salvation brings you into the state of righteousness, Romans 3. It brings you into a state of holiness, Romans 6. It brings you into a state of freedom, Galatians 5. It gives you blessedness or grace upon grace. Fellowship with God, Ephesians 2. The love of God shed abroad in the heart, Romans 5. Everlasting life, (laughs) Colossians 3. It moves you. It changes you. And it's powerful. Third reason. So what? God's gospel message, God's power, big deal. What's the hoopla about? Third. Verse 16. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. To the Jew first. Who was the Jew? The Jew in that day was the person who was religious. So powerful, it will save a religious person. The gospel message is so powerful, it will save a religious person. Sometimes, religious people are difficult to witness to because they use maybe the same words we do, but they mean exactly different. Exactly. Same words, but they don't mean what we mean by what the Bible says it means. They change definitions. But a religious person will be saved. The Jew first. The Jews had everything. They had the Old Testament. Had revelation from God. It had 
everything. It had all the prophets. It had every blessing it could possibly have. But they got so legalistic that they couldn't accept grace. They did their do's and don'ts and couldn't accept grace. But the gospel message is powerful enough to break that so that a religious person can be saved. More than that, so what? Gospel message and power, power and gospel message. What's the big deal? Fourth point. The gospel message to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Number four, it's so powerful that it will save a non-religious person. It will save a non-religious person. A person that has no view of religion. No view of God. Uh, agnostic. Somebody who claims to be an atheist. Somebody who claims to have no relationship with church. Or any church. No views on God. They think everything is chance and luck and we evolve from a monkey. No views. The gospel message is so powerful it can change a non-religious person to being a child of God. That's powerful. That's powerful. It can get you to salvation. It can get a religious person to salvation, get a non-religious person to salvation. It can change a life. That's powerful. So, what's my encouragement to you? Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 19. Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 19. Let me just encourage you real quick. Before it's 1230. Let me encourage you. Real quick, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. Notice what it says. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. What does God want Cumberland Bible Church to accomplish in 2019? Number one, Cumberland Bible Church is to speak boldly. In 2019, boldly, to speak boldly in 2019, to speak boldly. He gives a lot of words here in the verse talking about the words you use. I like it. Uh, Notice what he says. Utterance, opening of my mouth, boldness, the mystery of the gospel, all these words. On my behalf. He asked for people to pray. The, it, prayer is the source for us to get power. It's important. <laughs> Paul, the apostle, the one guy I would pick on my debate team in Bible trivia, you know, he asked for prayer. If he asked for prayer, I think all of us need prayer. He is praying that he would have the right words at the right time to share with a non-believer. A religious person or a non-religious person. He would have a prayer. Who are you praying for to share the gospel? The utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. The word utterance there is our Greek word logos. The word that's associated with the word of God. The word that's associated as a title for Jesus Christ. Logos. Logos is the word. In other words, here in the contest, it means just a word. Just a word can be the right thing to demonstrate the power of the gospel message. Only a word. Okay. This may work. This may not. Here we go. I want everybody... To think of a word. Any word. I don't care. Just any word. Any word. Just one word. Any word. Now I want you to say it out loud. I'm going to count the three. I want you to say the one word out loud. (sighs) 
Ready? One, two, three. Oh, everybody, everybody did. It could be that word that leads somebody to Christ. All it says is Paul's asking for a word to say. It could be one word. And what do we do sometimes when we have an opportunity to share the gospel message with somebody? What do we do? We don't say even one word. Paul's principle here is, it could be just one word. Just one word can be powerful. He asks that one word, notice what it says, comes out of his mouth. Now, I, I didn't check you on the way in, but it seems like everybody has a mouth. Okay? So, if you can say one word and you have a mouth, that qualifies you to be a deliverer of the gospel powerful message. You qualify. You, you have graduated. Because of the faith that grew in 2018, you're ready for 2019. You have the opportunity this year to speak boldly. Speak boldly. Utterance, the right word at the right time, from in your mouth. That will be given, passive. In other words, it comes from God. Passive. It comes from God. He gives you the word. He gives you the word. By the way, there are wrong words to say. You want a list? Here you go. There are words that will not come from God if it comes out of your mouth. Galatians 5.19 says, The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. That comes out of your mouth. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger. Uh, I'm sorry, lost my place. Disputes, dissensions, fractions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Those are the words that will not produce power. Matter of fact, they produce sin. Here are powerful words. I'm ready. Galatians 5.22. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Good, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things are no law. You make known words of power through the gospel message. Uh, okay, take your Bibles. Turn to Ezekiel 24-27. Ezekiel 24-27. 24-27. Now, now, usually when we go to an Old Testament passage for a sub-point... We want to convey the same message in the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it's not going to work with Ezekiel. Okay, We're not in the same passage that Ezekiel is. But I want you to see what Ezekiel does that we can do, I think, if we speak boldly. Here you go. Ezekiel is having problems with Israel. Okay, He's prophesying rebellion in Israel against God. He is actually going through a time where he loses his wife in the middle of the chapter. He is not in best moods. He's mourning. And then it goes to verse 27. On that day, your mouth will be opened. I like that. To him who escapes from Jerusalem, you will speak and, no longer, and be mute no longer. Thus you will be assigned to them... And they will know that I am the Lord. Now, again, it applies to Ezekiel, not to you. But I think it can be similar to what happens to us in 2019 when we proclaim the gospel message. We can be assigned to those non-believers. And second, we can say that there is a God. And God speaks. Through the word of God. And the word of God says blank, blank, blank. And we can open our mouths and speak. And it'd be like God speaking through us. It'd be like 
God working through us. Be like God's power working through us. Be like God's doing a mighty work. All we got to do is open our mouths. Because God's word is powerful. It can change a religious person. It can change a non-believing person. It can change a person from being lost to salvation and make them a believer. All we got to do is present the gospel message. Got to let the lion out of the cage. It's in your heart. Just let it out. Just let it out. Paul was in prison. Paul was in chains when he wrote Ephesians. <clears throat> Sometimes you may be in a hard place. And you may think to yourself, I'm in a hard place. Not a good time to share the gospel. And it may be exactly the hard place where God wants you to share the gospel. Ephesians shows clearly the gospel is for everyone. And it's revealed openly and proclaimed openly. And if you complain, if you proclaim it, the God of the universe <laughs> commands you to proclaim it. Now that's a heavy load when you've got the God of the universe telling you to proclaim the gospel. It might scare you a little bit. But then the God of the universe gives you the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. In your weakness, you obey the command you need divine strength and guidance to share the gospel message and to give glory to God. And God works it out so God does it through you because God wants people to be saved. Application. Will I work with God in 2019 so that when He leads me to divine appointments with non-believers, I will share the simple gospel message so that God is pleased with my obedience and people will hear about the grace of God. Will hear about the grace of God. I was in grade school. I was one of the tallest kids in my grade school. I loved playing basketball. I played basketball before school, at lunchtime, after school, and during any kind of recess I get, I'd be at the basketball court. In junior high, I still was the same height, and everybody else grew. Okay? That's okay. There was a group of kids that came on the bus early, and I'd go play basketball with them before school. I'd play at lunchtime, and I'd play after school. That's fine. And when I couldn't find anybody to play with, I'd go home, and I'd shoot shots in my backyard. I'd play basketball. When I got to high school, I found out that I'm still the same height I was in sixth grade. Okay? Everybody else is monster size. Everybody on my basketball team at my high school could slam dunk. Okay? Every one of them was tall. The point guard was tall. Okay? They said I was too short. Uh, I had the last spot for the tryout for the last spot on the team, and I was playing one-on-one -on -one with a guy that was tall. He was six foot four, and I'm playing one-on-one -on -one against him, and I'm this small size. And guess what? They picked the other guy to fill the last spot and sit on the bench. I was too small. I went to college. First, no, it was the second day of college. Second day of college, I went down to the main desk to a, a senior upperclassman, and I asked him where the best pickup basketball games were. He told me, you go down the Y, you go over here, out this door, turn left, you go turn right, you turn left, then at the intersection, and you go down three blocks, and the YMCA, in the basement of the YMCA, the best basketball games. So I said, okay, took my basketball, went over, and I got down there, I went down the basement, and I was the only white person in the room, and I said, this is going to be fun. And so I got out and played. Had a fun time. Eventually, after a couple hours, white guys started showing up. I said, okay, that's fine. We'll take them, you know, and we started playing. And we kept playing, we kept playing, we kept playing. Finally lost, didn't like that. Lost guys had to sit out a game. So I went over the sideline and I was standing there and another white kid came up to me. And he goes, do you go to a movie Bible Institute? And I said, yeah, I go to a movie. I'm a freshman, my second day. And he goes, were you thinking about going out for the basketball team? I said, no way. I was too short. Everybody told me it was too short. 
I'm always too short. Still too short. How can I possibly play in a college team? He goes, well, the most of the guys from last year's team you're out there playing with. And I said, I can play with those guys. So I went out. Tryouts came. I tried out. And guess what? Made the team. Even better, I got to play a lot. I got to fight the bigger guys for the one seat in the van that had the leg space. And I outbeat them usually. I enjoyed playing basketball in college. Because it was the first team I wasn't too short for. Now I was the shortest kid on the team, but I got to play. What happened? When I went to, went to tryouts, you know what attitude I had? It wasn't shyness. It wasn't meekness. It was boldness. Because I'd been playing with the guys. And I know I could beat the guys I'm playing with. I went to tryouts with boldness. Boldness is confidence in the message that we give. The message comes from the God of the universe. The message is designed for non-believers, religious and non-religious. And we're to give it to them with boldness and ask God to give us the words to say. And God answers that prayer. Amen? Oh, we got to go. Father, thank you for this word. I pray, Father, you would be with us this year that we would be able to speak the word in love, in truth, in power, in confidence, in boldness, Father, for the glory of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.